Welcome to the In Vino Fabulum podcast. I'm Patrice. And I'm Laura. We're your co-hosts for the In Vino Fabulum. That means in wine story. We think there are a number of tales to be shared about women and wine. This is a space to offer a narrative and chat about both. All right, Patrice, if I asked you what kind of wine comes from Australia, what comes to your mind right away? Yellowtail, of course. Obviously, this little animal has haunted the Australian wine and wineries forever, but it's, it's kind of a funny story about why it's so big. So we decided to pull from the Wine Bible. Um, this is the Wine Bible we've mentioned before on the vignettes by Karen McNeil. So I'm just opening to my page, uh, 826 here. And the yellow, yellowtail tale is really interesting. So this is the critter that started a craze. Um, 2001, this Australian brand came out uh, as Yellowtail, and this company stylized it with one of their famous uh, little Aussie Yellowtails on different animals. Um, It was on the kangaroo, but it's on different animals now, um, with an idea of getting wine out and making it more accessible to everyone else. So by the end of the first year, you would see this little yellow kangaroo on the label, and they sold probably tons of wine, um, more than you've seen anywhere else in the country. So if you go to Australia, have you been yet, Patrice? I have not been to Australia, only New Zealand. Close. You're very close there. But no one drinks this wine in Australia, and it was peculiar. I went there in 2015, and I was not surprised that it wasn't as popular because it's something that I probably did drink in my younger days because it's affordable, it's accessible, it's it meets the palate taste for most of us. But um, they decided in 2001 they were going to um, flood the market and start selling around the world. And one of the biggest markets is where we live in the U.S. Um, they sold, uh, about, their goal was to get 25,000 cases the end of their first year. And by 2012, it was the single largest selling imported wine in the U.S. So the fastest growing brand in the history of the U.S. wine industry. Um, do you know why it was so um, accessible and reached everywhere? I don't. I was actually wondering about that, like whether they just had some really great marketers or you know, how, how, they, um, how they connected with their market. Yeah, like I think... Two things. They, they made it really distinctively simple, right? So the, the icon is something that people associate with Australia, the kangaroo, one of the many animals there. Um, their name, yellow tail, was all lowercase. Um, so marketing was part of it. But a lot of it was just thinking about um, achieving some sort of quality that a consumer could have. And so they wanted to reach an uncomplicated flavor um, of the reach any palate that people would drink. And so a lot of their first wines um, they displayed was pretty basic, your Chardonnays or um, it was your Cabernets, like just a couple different basic wine flavors you see at tables or in a table wine. And the idea was to get um, this complete idea of the design was accessibility, have a simple flavor profile and, of course, um, market dominant. So they just wanted to appeal to a wide amount of customers that maybe even didn't drink wine because um, to some, and perhaps even our listeners that aren't really into wine but listen to other stories, um, they think it's kind of a snobby thing to be drinking. Like, who drinks wine? You go grab a beer or maybe a a cocktail, right? Mm -hmm. So 
like a universal design for wine. Exactly. Universal design. They wanted it to reach um, en masse. And so the idea was like, how do you engineer this to taste like um, the equivalent to what was Coca-Cola at the time? So how do you make that brand accessible around? So they kept it really simple. Um, you'll still see, see today the yellow tails on different animals on their wines and they've branched out to other varietals and things not. Um, but yeah, it was definitely a goal to reach uh, the American market, because it's a bigger market, and they wanted to mass-produce uh, fruit-forward kind of wine that had no tannins and a really nice finish, so people could say, oh, this wine's pretty good. Yeah, I could get it at a really affordable price. So I don't know how much Yellowtail is in a store now, but it was around like the $10 or below $10 market price, so more people could access it financially as well, right? Now, does Yellowtail have the uh, screw top? Because I recall that being an appealing factor when I was traveling. Yes, correct. So they want it to be, yeah, even opening it would be accessible. So they have a screw top, and I don't think we've talked about corks yet or tops yet on this uh, podcast yet, maybe in a future one. But, yeah, they want it it to be easy, simple. You can pick up. It would be in a fridge like where you have – other beer, beverages, already cold and chilled. And yeah, you could screw it off and drink it then without having to have some sort of device or tool apparatus to open it up. Um, So yeah, the idea was give the customers what they actually want. And so they want to succeed in the U.S. They had to be easy to understand, simple in design physically, and um, a simple understanding of what it was. Ah, yellow tail, that's a white or yellowish wine, and that equaled my Chardonnay. Or they didn't want it to be complicated. So um, a lot of it was establishing things that people already wanted. So think about designing a wine that the mass market would drink, and that's what they did. Do you think we're doing that with some of our courses and things that we're designing in higher ed? That's a good question. And I was thinking about it from the standpoint of there's definitely been an similar to say online learning. There's definitely been an uptick in wine. You know, you see wine paraphernalia a lot more little wine bistros popping up. And I was wondering if Yellowtail kind of um, saw the trend and got, you know, kind of ahead of the curve or did their accessibility actually start to create the, you know, you know, bring more consumers in because suddenly it became more affordable? Well, they packaged it, the equivalent, this one article I read talked a bit about of kind of um, delivering the Starbucks model. So something that was recognizable almost anywhere in the world. So in the U.S. market was one of the targets because they get the most consumers and probably the most feedback. And so they thought about it as... Um, debuting a wine that was fairly traditional but something that people remembered after they drank it so yellowtail started packaging it to visually look like 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 a starbucks has the symbol we'd recognize it's green and white they said let's put um a yellowtail and we'll use a yellow wallaby in the center and neon colored bars to distinguish it from different grape varietals so if you liked um, I think Cabernet, Cabernet Sauvignon, uh, you bought the bottle with the red label, um, yellow if you like the Shiraz, orange if you like the Merlot. So they tried to do really distinctive um, single, like lowercase letters, but different colors where people could easily recognize and not 
get caught up with reading a confusing label that might be in a French or Portuguese or Italian. Um, they didn't want to really have to get into it, but it's kind of like shopping for, I guess, like that Coca-Cola or like identifying that brand. They really were on point. So it's not like the wine was anything fast, fantastic. It just met um, a sweeter, sweeter palate for some that weren't sure about wine or the dryness wasn't going to put people off. And they started marketing, like the idea of building off the Aussie stereotype, so being laid back, carefree, and those kind of things that came along with like the physical brand and the messaging of, ah, this is the lifestyle of the Oz, and this is what we do down under, really push the wine into the market. And when they debuted in uh, 2001 in the US, they sold 200,000 cases, and then the next year, they sold 2.2 million. So word caught on. And some of their brand works helped. And and they really looked at it as building it around. Uh, they talk about those P's, right? The people, the product, the price, the pack- packaging, promotion, and the potential. And so I think, I don't know, maybe I worry about that if we uh, design certain things today and think about of just tailoring to the masses or really reaching everyone's kind of individual flavor or taste or interests, but it worked to get them into the market. And they're one of the huge um, sellers of wine in this area, whether you like it or not. It's people, and we talked about taste is your own palate, but um, they've done well to put themselves over. And it, it's just funny how um, the label and that little critter really started um, messaging and imprinting this wine as a brand, as something accessible. I'm imagining that as a way to uh, recruit online faculty. Imagine yourself sitting on a beach correcting homework. <laughs> <laughs> the laid back version of online. I know. Yeah, and I'd say, and they said like the middle of 2000s, this became the mass producer of the cheap wine, and um, more of it. It was import from Australia came to the U.S. Like they rarely sell a lot. They sell some in, in Australia, but it's really um, exported to other countries. And it's one of the s- second largest wine brand in the U.S. Um, a, a few years ago, it might not be now, but I know that when this book was published, and I was looking at some articles in 2015, 2016, it said it was one of the leading um, wines. I'd be curious now, and I'm going to have to look this up for the show notes, but it was definitely up there in the top 10 um most sold wine whether it's good or not they seem to have the market share hmm. i'm gonna have to uh head out and pick a few bottles up and do some of my own taste testing you could do some blind taste testing that's good well let's just say i guess if you build it and you brand it i guess they come but that's something to know is just because it's popular doesn't mean it's the flavor so that can be a lesson transferred to other things in life This podcast wants to continue the conversation with women about stories and wine. So we'd love to hear from you. Tell us what voices, ideas, questions, and random wine facts you hope we'll chat about in a future podcast episode. Find us on Twitter at 3WEDU or on the hashtag InVinoFab. And we'll always welcome love or messages by email at InVinoFabulum at gmail.com. To stay tuned for the next podcast episode, please subscribe to the In Vino Fab podcast via Apple Podcasts, that's iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. Remember, in wine, there is a story in Vino Fabulum. Cheers. <laughs>